Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. You guys doing good? Come on, it's exciting. This is the first Sunday of June. Who's happy summer's here? I mean, I got a little lobstery yesterday. Not a bad way to kick off the summer. And uh, why not? They're just going to change this out because I feel, oh, yeah, no, the message is too heavy for this stand. That's, that's what this is saying. So they'll, they'll play with that uh, in a little bit. But hey, uh, if we haven't met, my name is Keith, and uh, it is truly a privilege to serve on the Dream Team here at Blaze Church. And uh, if you're new to this space, maybe it's your first time with us, we're so glad you're here. Uh, welcome home. We want you to feel at home. As you're seated, there's a QR code in one of those chairs in front of you. It says, first time here. Uh, if you want to scan that, give us a little information. We'd love to connect with you. Or you can stop by our welcome home area in the back, and we'll connect with you there. Um, but it's, it's a great Sunday. I'm excited for it. Are you excited? I want you to be a little excited because I'm telling you, this message is heavy, everybody. Go ahead and just say, it's heavy. It, you don't even know yet, and it's heavy. Okay, thank you, Joe. Um, it, it, it's heavy. In fact, it's so heavy that I don't know who gets our Clearstream text messages, kind of lets you know church is coming up, what's coming on. So um, Clearstream, the service we use, actually blocked my first text because they said we can't send a text with the word sex in it. Um, and so I was like, oh, you know it's heavy too. Like as a, as a, so we put two X's there. So if you thought that was a spelling error, no, that's how we got through the system, everybody. Um, and so they wouldn't, they wouldn't let go through with one X. And I was like, fine, we'll do two X's. Um, but no, today, honestly, like we're, we're, gonna have a, we're gonna have a heavy discussion, but I believe that there's gonna be freedom and liberation from God's word this morning. And I do believe what we just prayed and what our team our pastoral team here and, and our preaching team has been praying really for two weeks leading into this commandment, the seventh commandment, knowing that what we will look at in God's word is going to be so not what you would hear if you turned on the news, if you tuned into Netflix, if you had conversation with anybody else that doesn't have a biblical worldview of sex and marriage, this is going to be different. This is going to be striking maybe to some of you. And I want you to hear on the front end what you know is our culture if you've been a part of Blaze for any, a part of, any amount of time. We believe in the grace of God, not the guilt of God. We believe what scripture says in Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We believe that God has freedom and healing for our lives. And we also believe that the Holy Spirit is the beautiful convictor of our souls. And like a good physician, he's gonna do some cutting today and it's gonna, it's gonna be a little tense. I'm very aware that the message I'm about to share could get me canceled. I'm very aware that we're sharing it online. I'm very aware of all of those things. I'm also aware of the grace and the power of God, somebody. I'm aware that he has a good plan for our lives. And, and I believe that when we say we're going to preach through the Ten, Ten Commandments, we don't get to pick which ones we want to preach through and which ones we're going to skip. And uh, I'm also thankful that our preaching team said right away, you're taking seven. We don't want to hear anything about it. It's all you, Pastor. Like, you, you got that one. Um, and so I'm grateful for this opportunity today. Um, if you don't know why we're preaching through the Ten Commandments, this has been our, our theme statement throughout this series. Hopefully you know it without the screen. Hopefully I know it without the screen. But we believe the Ten Commandments, what? It reveals the heart of God and it reflects the Christian life. We're saying that over and over because we want you to understand and I want to not just know here, but know here 
that the Ten Commandments, yes, were given uniquely for a specific group of people, the Jewish people, thousands of years ago. And yes, they're part of the Old Testament, but that does not nullify the impact it makes in our lives today. We believe, as you just saw in that video and what we have in our sign in the back, every person's created to know God. That's the first step on our spiritual journey, to really know him. And you can get a good look at who God is if you look at the Ten Commandments. And I'm not going to recap all seven for you in this moment. We are going to talk about a few of them at the end of our time together. But today we find ourselves on the seventh commandment. And I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to ask you to read it with me, and I'll share with you where we're going this morning. So very, very short, but not very light. The seventh commandment says this in Exodus 20. You shall not commit adultery. So I, I want you to say this with me. Let's say the seventh commandment together. Exodus 20, verse 14 you shall not commit adultery. And, and, and I know like that last word on that commandment is a loaded word. It was loaded when God first spoke it to the people of Israel. It, it was certainly a loaded and intense word when Jesus affirmed it. We're going to read his words in a few moments. And today in 2022, it's just as intense. It makes us squirm just as it did people for thousands of years. And so to really understand what God is saying not to do in this commandment and why he's saying it, we need to have a, a working understanding of God's definition of sex and marriage. Because if we don't have God's definition of what sex is and what marriage is, then we have nothing to work off of when God says you shall not commit adultery. Does that make sense? Like if, if you have your own definition of what marriage is and what the gift of sex is, well, then you're going to have your own definition of what God's saying here. So before we actually talk about commandment seven, I want to lay a little bit of a foundation from God's word of marriage and sex. And here's why. Let me just say this, and you should write this down. This is, this is a good note. Sex and marriage are two of God's greatest gifts. They're two of God's greatest gifts and they're important and they matter. And wouldn't you believe then if, if that's true, if sex and marriage are in fact two of God's greatest gifts, then wouldn't they be the most apt to being attacked by the enemy at and be twisted and be perverted and be changed? If they're such great gifts, then of course they're going to come under such great attack. So what we need before we look at what God is saying to us, because remember, He's revealing his heart and he's reflecting the lives we live. We need to understand what marriage is and what sex is according to the author of those things, God himself. And here's the beauty. I'm not sharing my opinion with you at all this morning. In fact, I texted our pastoral team last night and I said, if you could pray for me, I want to make sure there's a guard on my lips as I preach that opinion never comes out of my mouth, simply scripture. And so I'm just going to show you what scripture says about marriage and what scripture says about sex and then we're going to walk right back into this commandment to see how, I'm telling you, this is a beautiful commandment like the other ones we've read so far. So to discover what marriage is, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go to where God himself orchestrated. He, he officiated the first wedding. I mean, let, let's just go back to the garden and see what God says. So here's what we read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. I'm going to read a good amount of scriptures, so stay with me. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Every woman there should have done a good amen. Let me, let me try it again. It's not good that the man should be alone. Okay, there you go. It's okay to laugh a little. It's the only time you're going to laugh in this message. So do it with me on this verse, okay? 
I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. I mean, what an important job. And how creative the man got. Hippopotamus. <laughs> Giraffe. Then he, he's just like ant. I just, just, I'm running out, man. I'm, but what a beautiful job that, that God's given this man in this moment. I mean, I struggle to name my two kids. And here it is. Every living creature's coming and, and he's working in the garden. And look what happens, though, in verse 20. It says, the man gave names to all livestock and to birds, the birds of the heavens and to, the, to every beast of the field. Look at this. But for Adam, there was not found, and I want you to, to remember this phrase, a helper fit for him. It's the second time we've actually read that. And it's key as we understand God's plan for marriage and sex. And look what's happening. Adam is seeing all the living creatures and he's recognizing none of these creatures are fit for me. They're not, they're not made for me. They're not made to complete me. So here's what God does. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed it up, closed up its place with flesh. How beautiful. There's something unique about what God's about to do with this next creative being he's going to make. Notice in the creation of, as we'll see, woman, it is different than any other creative being. We read that God called things into existence. He formed things from the ground. Yet with woman, there's something unique. And it says in verse 22, the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And brought her to the man. So, I mean, Adam has seen everything from a hippopotamus to a giraffe at this point. He's laid eyes on all that God has created. And now God, in his beauty, in his orchestrating to bring a helper fit for Adam, brings woman. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And remember, he's been naming all things. She shall be called in the original Hebrew, he said it this way. Whoa, man. <laughs> he said, I, I had never seen anyone like this before. Wow. Actually, I'll tell you the Hebrew words in just a minute. Because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. That's an important word. And they shall become one flesh. Verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. So from the beginning, when God is creating, and, and you see the transitional words that are used there from man and woman to husband and wife, we're reading of marriage. When there's not a helper fit for man, what does God do? Well, he creates one fit for him. And we can see what he doesn't do. He doesn't bring to him another created being. He doesn't bring another animal. And he doesn't make another Adam. He makes a unique woman fit for him. In the original Hebrew, the word for man is ish. And the word for woman is isha. Literally meaning, meaning. There you go. I'm getting, I'm getting real. It's a meaning. 
literally meaning taken out of man, ish shah. What I want you to just see here, everybody, is that there's uniqueness in the naming, in the forming, the creating, and even in the giving, the uniting together. There's uniqueness, there's differentiation. There's a man and there's a woman. And all throughout the New Testament, and we're going to read one passage in just a moment, but all throughout the New Testament, when marriage is spoken of, you will see Jesus and Paul quote what we just read in Genesis. In fact, if you've been to a wedding ceremony that was Bible-based, you probably heard the officiant say at some point, therefore, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife. That's scripture. That comes from God himself way back in the garden. Now, the question we should ask, though, especially in our culture, is why does that matter so much? Why, why, I mean, maybe we could just say, well, God said it, so I believe it, and I believe that there's truth in that as his created beings, but he, he goes one step further. He shows us exactly why a marriage will look like one man and one wife united together, and to do that, I want to show you the words of Paul, just two verses from Ephesians. Paul quotes Genesis. Here's what he says. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You just heard that. That's Genesis. But why, Paul? Why is it that way? Why can't we change the rules of sex and marriage? Oh, here's why. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Paul is... He's revealing to us the mystery. Uh, my family, we, we love playing games. Last night, my wife and I were playing a board game when the kids were asleep. And, and I, I think I've shared this before with you. One of the games that frustrates me the most is Clue. I just can't solve the mystery. I'm always wrong. I, and, I, and the problem is I'm so confident that I'm not wrong. I think I know who did it. And I get to the middle and my wife just smiles at me like, no, you're wrong. Like, I know where you're going with this. I'm not the greatest at solving mysteries, and it's for that reason I'm grateful that Paul says, this is a mystery, let me give you the answer. We don't have to guess as to why God declares that marriage is between one man and one woman, because marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. And the church is called the bride of Christ all throughout Scripture. In fact, at the end of time, we read that there will be a feast, a wedding feast. Hey, there's a wedding language. This matrimony language is used all throughout scripture. And we think, well, it's just between you and I, the here and now. But God says, no, it's a picture of Christ and the church. Is that making sense? And again, I, I know it doesn't sound normal because it's not normal. It's scripture. Marriage to God is not just any two people in love. There's a uniqueness. There's a differentiation when a man enters into a covenant with a woman. And you can read more about that in Ephesians, and I encourage you to do so. But maybe you've heard that term, a marriage covenant, a marriage ceremony, right? This promise that's made between a husband and a wife. Now, what we need to understand is that when there is a covenant, there always needs to be a sign of the covenant. You know this if you purchased a home. You sat down and you trusted your attorney and they said, sign your name 65,000 times. I don't know, just sign it, just sign. And years later, they show up and say, Joe, we're here for the dog. What do you mean? Yeah, you signed that way. Like, we don't even know. 
But anytime there's a covenant, anytime there's a promise, anytime there's a commitment, there needs to be a sign that affirms the covenant is real. And that is what sex is in a marriage covenant. We heard the term used a couple times this morning, one flesh. One flesh. That the two become one flesh within a marriage covenant. And if you forgot where we read it, let's go back to it just for a moment. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become, say it with me, one flesh. Verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Because at this point, there was no reason for shame. Because at this point, there was no sin. There was no distortion. There was no perversion. There was no twisting of anything. Sex was simply what we just read in those verses, a uniting. It's a unitive act between a man and a woman within a marriage covenant. See, we read that they'll leave their parents. That coming together as one is a leaving of the primary relationship and a cleaving to the new primary relationship. Does that make sense? It's this, it's this unifying act. It affirms, and sex within a marriage affirms a lifelong covenant between two people. I wrote this just in my own study of what I would say, this is what sex is. Sex is I am naked and unashamed. We see that in scripture. I am vulnerable, meaning I am fully giving myself to this person. I give myself to you. I belong completely and exclusively to you. That is very different from the narrative of the world that says sex is just physical. Sex is simply just sleeping with whoever you want. God says, no, it's not. It's spiritual. It's not just physical. It's unitive. It's a joining together. It it really is. Remember, Adam looks and cannot find a helper fit for himself. Suddenly, God brings a helper to him. We could literally say they were made for each other. Like, ish, shah. I was made for you. I read this by J.I. Packer. He's a, a theologian and a scholar. He says, sex is the enriching of the couple's relationship itself through their repeated knowing of each other as persons who belong to each other exclusively and without reserve. Isn't that a lofty definition of what culture has said? It's just sex. It's a lofty definition. It's a higher view. It's God's view. And with that understanding, a biblical understanding of marriage and sex, may we return to the seventh commandment now and see the beauty of it. So here it is. Let's say it together. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. With our understanding of what sex and marriage is, my prayer is that we would see the seventh commandment at its heart is about safeguarding the gifts of sex and marriage? Is God trying to be restrictive and oppressive? Is the Christian understanding of sex and marriage limiting and old-fashioned and it's just not for today? No, it's none of that. God has your very best in mind. God loves you so much that he will give you parameters and boundaries wherein to live out your sex and to be married And this is just another safeguard for us. 
I believe in this moment there might be three groups of people who are listening in this space. The first is singles. And you might be listening and saying, okay, I came on the wrong Sunday. I'm not married. Not breaking the seventh commandment here. This is a great one for me. Like, I, I, let's, let's go. Like, so maybe you're there, and I'm going to show you how this applies to you in just a moment. The other group might be married individuals who are looking at these words and saying, again, check that off. I have never physically committed adultery. I have not cheated on my spouse. I've never slept with anyone else but my spouse. I'm doing a great job. I'm going to go hang out with the singles. We don't need this one, Pastor. <laughs> and then there's the third group. Maybe this is a part of your story. In fact, it may even be taking place right now. And God, by his grace, has you here this morning. And you're looking at this and you're saying, okay, well, I'm kind of knee deep into breaking my marriage covenant. Where's the hope for me? Well, before I provide the hope for all of us, the good news, I want to first give you the bad news. Because in order to understand the gospel, which is the good news that Christ came to this world to pay the price for our sins, you and I first need a working definition of the bad news, which is we are all of us sinners who fall short of his glorious standard. And I'm not leaving it general this morning. I'm going to show you how all of us break the seventh commandment. Not my words, the words of Jesus. So if this seems easy for you to keep, you may not want to listen to the next verse that we read together. It would be a whole lot easier if it stayed here. But what have we discovered? Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And in so fulfilling, he elevates the standard of the law for us today because we've been saved by his grace. So here's what Jesus says about the seventh commandment. Grab the seatbelt. It's somewhere in your seat. <laughs> you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. Yes, I've heard that. Heard it this morning. Jesus goes on to say, but I say, Anyone who even looks, say the word looks. Anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And ladies, you don't get a pass on this one just because of the gender pronouns here. You see that throughout scripture. Anyone who looks with lust. Let's read on and see what Jesus says about that looking with lust. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown in hell. Okay. Verse 30. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off, and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Do you think that Jesus is playing games with this commandment? Do you think this is something that we can just create 50 shades of gray about, keep it vague, say, well, I can write my own definitions of what lust and adultery and marriage and sex looks like. Do you think Jesus is playing games? And please hear this very clearly. Jesus is not instructing us to self-mutilate any part of our bodies. He's using a figure of speech called hyperbole to stress the importance of this commandment. He's, he's not playing. He's saying, whatever it takes to the extreme, you will safeguard your heart against sexual immorality. 
whatever it takes. We'll talk about some of the whatever it takes in a moment. But let me share with you the Greek word that's used there when it says look at one with lust. It's the single word epithumio. Epithumio, which means to desire, to covet, or to long for. I want you to understand that what Jesus is saying here is not a recognition of someone who is not your spouse. And if you're not married right now, you just saw this is an all skate. We all jump in because it's looking at someone with lust, married or not. It's not simply looking, it's not simply a recognition, it's that longing, it's that desire, it's that coveting. I, I heard one, and I can't remember who it was, if you know, just shout it out, I don't know if it was Luther or Calvin, someone who said, just because a bird flies over your head doesn't mean they need to make a nest there. It's that dwelling on. It's that going back to the person and saying, well, she's just friendly. No, you're flirting with danger. It's that continuous going back, that's epithumio. Notice what Jesus does is he takes adultery with the hands, the eyes, the sexual organs, and says it is not just action any longer in this covenant, it's attitude. It's a matter of the heart. We know that, we've been talking about that all month long as we go through these commandments. It's about our hearts. You could keep your hands pretty clean, everybody, but if your heart has lust in it, Jesus says you broke the commandment. Here's what he says in Mark chapter seven. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts. We would say, no, my thoughts come from my brain. Jesus would say, no, they don't. They come from your heart. They come from who you are, that inner self. There's that phrase, sexual immorality. We're gonna talk about what that Greek word was in just a minute. Theft, Murder, we talked about murder last week. We're talking about theft next week. Jesus is just showing us the 10 commandments. It's, it's an issue of the heart. He goes on and he says, adultery, there's our word, greed and wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, that's epithumio, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Jesus says all these vile things, all of them, they come from within. They are what defile you. Verse 23, they, they come from within. They're what defile you. Uh, that phrase that we just read that I want to end our time talking about this morning, sexual immorality, used all throughout the New Testament and all throughout Greek literature, is the Greek word, you're going to recognize it, it's the Greek word porneia. Talk about that in a moment. The, everyone who's nodding going, mm, you know where that is. Yeah, we, we see what that is. We'll get there. Porneia. Porneia can be found in Greek literature with reference to a variety of illicit sexual practices. Meaning all throughout scripture, and, and there's, this, there's this uniqueness about our culture right now that will say, but Jesus didn't say this in the area of sexual immorality. Porneia. We're reading literature from 2,000 years ago. This first century audience that spoke Greek would understand anything outside the boundaries of what we've established this morning. Sex within a marriage covenant is porneia. It's, it's anything outside of God's plan for sex and marriage. Anything. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about what I believe has become the most accepted form of porneia in our culture. And not only accepted, but I would say even expected form of porneia. And that is the English word pornography. 
See, the culture we live in today validates pornography, says it's fine. And you don't need to just find some dark websites to view pornography any longer. It's on your streaming service. We just chalk it up to TVMA and it's just a sex scene. It's just nudity. No, scripture says that's porneia. It breaks the heart of God. It devalues women. And this is not just a male issue, although I will say it's predominantly a male issue. All of us can see the devastation and destruction of pornography's wide acceptance and use in our culture. And I'm telling you what God says is that's breaking the seventh commandment. It is looking with lust at someone who you're not married to. Isn't that what Jesus just described the seventh commandment as? It's breaking the seventh. I read an article this week in preparation where uh, Tim Chalice, a, a pastor and author, he says that there's eight sins that we actually commit when we break, when we look at pornography. And I just want to show you four commandments out of the big 10 that we break when we look at pornography. Here it is. The first one is idolatry. When we choose pornography, right off the bat, we are, we are breaking the first commandment, don't have any other gods. How? Because you are looking to someone else to satisfy you in a way that only God has said you should find satisfaction. It's idolatry. And you go back to that thing over and over and over again. Very clearly, it's adultery. We're looking with lust. Number nine, we'll talk about in two weeks, deceit. Because you know and I know, most people are not bragging about their pornography use. And it's devastating when a spouse has to make sure that they cleared their browser history or gets nervous if their spouse grabs their phone because it's deceitful. I told you we wouldn't laugh anymore in this message. And it's coveting because you are desiring someone who is not yours. They are not your spouse. That, that's just broad strokes, everybody. Here's the words I want us to hear this morning. The words of scripture in the area of sexual immorality. We are in a sexualized culture. And the problem is culture thinks that they've got it right and they don't. And they think they're having fun and they think it's freedom and it's not. God has the best plan for sex and marriage. God has the most freeing plan. God has the best plan for you as a single, for you as a married person. God has that. He created it. So hear the words of Paul this morning as I hear the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be deceived. Can we say amen right there, church? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, that's the word porneia, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I'm not sharing my opinion, although it may not match culture's opinion. I'm just reading scripture. And if it cuts us, it's him cutting us, not me. And when he cuts, we have two responses to repent and lament, or to be offended and walk away. I was speaking with someone this week. We were having a good time talking about the life of a Christian to follow Jesus. And we both were encouraging each other, and we said this, nobody ever liked Jesus. If you like Jesus today, you are in the rare minority, and at some point you will choose to either hate him or love him. You can't like him. At some point, he'll say something like this to you that makes you say no. 
I can't agree with that. And you cease to like him. My prayer for us this morning is that all of us would cry out for ourselves and for our nation and our world in the way that Paul cried out. Let me read you his words in Romans. He says this, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And if Paul dropped the pen at that moment, we would be left hopeless. But praise God, moved by the Holy Spirit, he writes, verse 25, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's thank our God right now that our answer is in Jesus. We might be miserable. We might say, who's gonna free me? You can't free you. Only Jesus can. And he came to free you. He has a good plan for us. I want to return to the words of Paul in Corinthians where he says, all of these will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he lists with detail all of these. But look at what he writes next. And if you are a follower of Christ, this is your verse today. This is your foundation today. Here's what he says. And that is what some of you were. Someone say, I was that. Come on, I was that. That's who I was. I was greedy. I was an adulterer. I was addicted to pornography. I was a thief. It's who I was. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Do you want, to tell, want me to tell you who I really am now? I'm a washed, sanctified, justified child of God. And if I am that, then there is no room for who I once was to be around with who I now am. We cannot be new created selves with old patterns existing in our lives. I'm just trying to make it as clear as, I want to connect all the dots, leave no room for guessing today. So I'll say it clearly. There's no way that you can be a new created, born again follower of Christ and be actively engaging in pornography or sexual immorality. The two don't go together. They can't. You're made new. And if that feels like pressure, and if that feels like, but how can I overcome this? You are in a great place because you need to know you can't overcome it. It's by his washing. It's by his sanctifying. It's by his justifying. And he does not wash, sanctify, and justify us so that we can go on living out old patterns and old behaviors. He does it to make us new. Let me pastor you in this moment and say that I believe there are three types of people in this space beyond the three I've shared. First, I would say there are the tempted here this morning. Really, it's probably a majority. We're tempted. You're tempted to take a double look at that person that you shouldn't double look at in the gym, the mall, at your job, the website, the show, you're tempted. You're saying, I, I'm so tempted in this area of pornea. Then there's the wayward. There's those that this morning, the enemy, I believe, is trying to harden your heart to not hear the gospel because you know this is your lifestyle and you can't imagine not living this lifestyle Porn use is a part of your life. Sleeping around as a signal is a part of who you are. Living a lifestyle contrary to God's plan for sexuality is part of you. You're wayward. 
And the third group might be those who are brokenhearted. Meaning, you're so broken by the decisions you're making. And on some days, you don't just hate what you're doing, but you hate yourself for it. And so let me read a scripture that captures all of us this morning. And then we are going to respond through repentance. So whether you're tempted, wayward, or broken, hear the words of a book called Lamentations, a book about lamenting, about crying out. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I believe that this morning, there are new mercies for you today. That this morning, the faithfulness of God is here to meet you and I in our broken state. The author goes on to say, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And he concludes by saying, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good to wait quietly. God's salvation is for you today. If you leave this space feeling condemned, that is not the words of the Holy Spirit. He's here to convict. He's here to lead us into all righteousness as Jesus said he would. We get to respond and follow him there. And so I'm gonna call us to three action steps today. The first is a time of repentance. In just a moment, we're gonna allow the music to just ring out and we're gonna sit quietly. We're gonna wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord to work in our hearts. We're gonna repent as a church. You may be repenting for yourself in this area. You may be repenting for our nation. We're gonna repent quietly. I wanna give instruction there. No one's gonna speak out. No one's gonna have a word from the Lord in this moment. None, none of the, we're just gonna sit quietly before the Lord. It's scripture to wait quietly and then I will close our time in prayer and we're gonna sing a song of response. The second action step that we need to take is we need to remain in Jesus. He says in John 15, he's the vine and we are the branches and as we remain in him, we bear good fruit. If you have an addiction right now to some form of porneia, the answer is to remain in Jesus, to be in him. Say, I'm connected to you, God. Produce fruit of righteousness in me. May this rotten fruit be removed from my life. Because very clearly as an illustration, rotten fruit is produced when a branch is no longer connected to the vine. You ever go apple picking out here at one of those farms? You slush around, it smells like death. That's all the fruit that's fallen off the tree that's no longer connected to the vine. It stinks. Remain in him. And the third action step that we all get to take as a church starting this week for the month of June, you've got a flyer on your seat, is to be a part of a small group. I'm calling it to reach out. Repent, remain, and reach out. This week, our small groups are meeting all over the island. And we're going to be talking about Sunday's message with each other. 
We're going to be sharing. We're going to be encouraging. My group's going to be eating pizza while we do it over at Roadhouse. We've got Fireside with Friends and Poolside Parables and, and all these fun summer groups for four weeks. I'm encouraging you to be a part of one. Keep reaching out. What I want to do now is I want us to be quiet before the Lord and then we'll sing a song and just wait on Him. So for about 30 seconds, would you bow your head? I encourage you to open your hands during this prayer to just be open before the Lord, to let His Holy Spirit speak and show you the area that He's going to heal today. Then I'll lead us in a prayer and we'll respond by singing the Lord's Prayer together. Father in heaven, holy is your name. This morning we come, we confess our sin. We confess the sin of our nation to you. How your good gifts of sex and marriage have been under attack, have been twisted and perverted and how even we have adopted the world's narrative. May you forgive us, God. We thank you for the author who wrote, great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new this morning. We look to you for forgiveness, for healing. May we all leave this space declaring like Paul, Thank God the answer is in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. May we remember that our identity is that we've been washed, sanctified, and justified. May we live as lights in a dark world. It's not popular. It's not accepted. It's been deemed hateful and oppressive. May we carry your word with joy with love, with grace. Father, I pray for those who are tempted this morning, who are wayward, who are broken. I pray, God, that the conviction of your spirit would come upon us in such a beautiful and undeniable way when a choice is to be made that would break this command. May we walk in freedom. May you lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.